I really believe there are transformations of spiritual content in this place. Imagine if we went back in time to about the year 1500 and we show them our phone. And let's say there's two of us there, so we each have a phone. And we show them a library. We point to a library. Maybe, you know, 1500s, we're in the Middle Ages, we're somewhere in Europe. And we point to a library and then we point to our phone and we go, that library is on this. How many think they would believe it? Come on, how many think they would believe it? But would you be lying? Would you be lying? No. I have on my phone 2,000 books downloaded. That means if I'm on an airplane and I got to shut off the phone, I still got 2,000 books to read. Have I read them all? No, have not, but I have them to read. I have on my phone, like you do, access to the World Wide Web, which in content has more possible content to interact with than any single library in the world. Are you listening? But they wouldn't believe you. They would say, dude, this is so crazy. You're telling me a book, a book is in there. And not just one book is in there. You're telling me 20,000 of these are in there. They would look at you like you were nuts. Now, if you begin to show them, they would believe you, wouldn't they? I mean, if they had any common sense, if you just said, look, I'm going to open up, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey, bloom, 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 here it is, they would believe you. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that heaven has a lot of things to give you? Do you believe those things are transferred? <laughs> Can you show me? Not by your phone, by your actions. Come on. We show the world we are downloading the library, the content of heaven by how we live. If my friends, I got one while, that's okay. I'm still preaching. If I had right now my friend from high school stand right here, right here, he would smell like smoke, be a little droopy-eyed because he's high and probably still smell like the bar he was in. Are you listening? If I got him here right now, just put him right here, you know what he would say? He would say, something changed in Joe's life from November 4th, 1995 to November 5th. He downloaded some stuff. Some things came into his spirit. I can't see it in the, in, in, in the way it downloaded, but I see the result of it. I can interact with, an, with a different Joe. Joe is operating on a different set of hard drive, on a different uh, code, rather, and with a different hard drive. His information that he's sharing with me now is totally different. And so we have to believe that when we come into this church, just like how modern technology has gotten to the point where it can download things, that we are downloading the things of God, that God is transferring things from heaven to earth. Because isn't that what we're supposed to hear in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is the earth that God starts his kingdom in? Does he start the kingdom in the farm field of earth? Does he start it in the earth of the iron ore in some coal mining pit over here? Where is the earth? Point to the earth the kingdom of heaven starts. Because what are you made out of? 
earth. If you're not made out of earth, what are you made out of? Did you come from another planet? What are you made out of? You're made out of earth. From dust you came to dust you go, right? And so what is God doing in the spiritual realm? What God is doing is he is downloading things into our spirits, transferring those things to us that rearrange us and change us. And it's not just, listen to me, it's not just make-believe, hoping and wishing upon a star like they do in Disney World when I go there with my kids and then at the end of every night they have a big crescendo where the fireworks go off at the castle and then uh, Tinkerbell floats down. That's not what I'm wishing on as she comes down on a, um, what do you call those things you hold on to and you go places with them, zip line. I'm not, I'm not doing that now because how can I prove that to you? If we were to have a discussion on who you were and what substance you're made out of, most of the world would say, I'm the substance of my body and I am my brain. Isn't what the the world would say? I am my brain. And I heard a guy talking about this the other day. He fully said that, I'm my brain. So where does love come from? My brain. Where does your feeling of patriotism or justice come from? Comes from my brain. Where is the contradiction in that? When we look at brains, do we see justice? Do we see love? What do we see in brains? Chemicals. So what has that person just done the moment they said, I'm my brain? They've contradicted themselves because they're no longer an I. They're an it. They're chemicals. You can't be an I and be your brain at the same time. A brain is not an I. It is an it. A chemical is not an I. It is an it. A synapse is an electrical currents going through your brains are not an I. They are an it. The first thing they've done is they've contradicted themselves. Just as if I've said... My mother had no children that lived. Is that true? My mother had no children that lived. How do you know it's not true? Because I'm standing here. How about this one? I don't know a word of English. Is that true? How do you know it's not true? Okay, I am my brain. Is that true? No, based on the same principle. I can't be my brain. My brain is an it of chemicals. And then they go, oh, oh, but it's the chemicals that make you feel, the endorphins make you feel love, and it's the way that you understand the world and perceive color. We can do all of that. Yes, you can see how I, which am not my brain, use my brain. You can see how I, a spiritual soul, use my brain, but I'm not my brain. Otherwise, I would be an it of chemicals. Now let's go back to our discussion When we talk about the transference of power from the heavenly realms into our spirit, they go, you guys are just playing make-believe. There's no downloads coming into your spirit. You're just your brain. You're just your chemicals. Well, hold on. I can't just be a brain because if I'm a brain, I'm not an eye. I'm just chemicals. And so what you can do when they're talking to you, stop calling them by their name and say, hi, chemical. How are you doing, synapse? How are you doing electrical current in this body that I'm looking at? And then that they're arguing and they're getting so upset with you. Why are you saying that to me? I'm a person. I'm a person. No, you're not. You're just chemicals. And why are your chemicals getting upset right now? Maybe you need some other chemicals so you're not upset. But you see, we're not chemicals. We don't act like chemicals. As a matter of fact, we use our brain like a pianist uses a piano. And the problem is a lot of us are not good at using our brain. And we need to get better at thinking, don't we? We need to get better at understanding how we do things. So the moment they say, I don't believe in the transference of heavenly things from God's kingdom to your kingdom, ask them this, are you transferring any information to your brain right now? 
Aren't you deciding to think about something right now? I mean, we can get you in the brain scan and we can ask you to think about blue and then see your brain lights up blue. How did that work? Why isn't it lighting up your hungry when I asked you to think about blue? Who controlled the levers to make the brain now think about blue? Did you ever think about how you think? You see, you're transferring spiritual things to physical things all the time. You're transferring your thoughts to your brain. Isn't that amazing? You're transferring right now. So can God's spirit break into this world? Can God go spirit to spirit? Absolutely. Can God go spirit to physical? Absolutely. You're doing spirit to physical right now. Unless you want to tell me you're an it. And then what makes it so mad? Because I'm going to call you it. Why is it so mad that you have to tell me you're an it? Doesn't it care whether or not I call it an it? You're an it, floor. Pour some chemicals on the floor. You're an it, chemical floor. Put some tissue like a brain there. You're an it, chemical on the floor with brain. Why doesn't that it get upset when I call it an it? Why are you upset and arguing? You see, we contradict ourselves all the time and we don't understand the spiritual nature of things. When we are singing that song, Great Are You, Lord, think about all the things that are involved in you saying, Great Are You, Lord. Number one, you have to be a person to even understand another person called God. So you have personhood. You have to have existence. That means you're not somewhere off in the matrix or in somebody's video game or in an alien spaceship. You're actually here. You have to have personal existence. You have to have a universe to be in. Then you actually need to have vocal cords that interact with your thinking to make a sound of communication. So you're not going, that you're actually making a sound that has a communication. And then what you're communicating in language has to make sense. Otherwise, it would sound like the color blue smells like Thursday sometimes. Is that what you said? How do you know the difference between great are you, Lord, and the chemical blue smells like Thursday sometimes? Because you know the difference between sense and nonsense. You have to understand language. You have to have the ability to comprehend. You have to have existence. You have to have personhood. You have to be alive in the image of God, in other words, to say, great are you, Lord. And that's why when we come to these scriptures, we're coming made in the image of God, understanding that spirit can change matter, understanding that God who is spirit can communicate to our spirit and therefore change the matters of this world. Are you listening? Can God's spirit change matter? He did to make it, didn't he? And then can he change the matters of your life? Amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. For those of you who don't think the Bible ap applies to real life, re-listen to the first five minutes I just spoke. If your friends don't think the Bible applies to real life, send them this message. Amen? I love to help you think deep and to help you go deeper into the things of God. We're in a sermon series, those who might be new with us, going through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's what he said. We believe it. Amen? Somebody say, he said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. I believe it. 
This is what Jesus said. He said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Because remember in the prior verses, he was talking about children. He says, don't despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? That one sentence there will change your life. God has angels for every child. Now, I like to pick on the Roman Catholics. Yes, I'm guilty of it. I always pick on Father Tom and what they teach. But I do it for your good so that you can go out there and share the truth with your friends who are Roman Catholic. How many of you have friends or family that are Roman Catholic? Okay. The rest of you don't have friends or family, I'm assuming. Because I'm pretty much guessing you will either fit into one of those categories, a friend or a family member that is Catholic. Let's try that again. How many of you have friends or family that are Catholic? should be everybody. Everybody, everybody. Okay, thank you for paying attention. Helps me out up here. How many know they can be very superstitious? If I can say the word. Superstitious. Stitious. That last part's messing with me. They believe that relatives can come back and talk to them. They're supposed to pray to saints, that statues are good to have around, etc. None of that's biblical. We don't say that because we don't like them. We say it because we love them and we want them to be like Jesus. Number one, The afterlife is a closed-off realm. You do not get to come back unless God gives you permission to come back with him for a purpose. It's only happened a few times in the Bible. So, number one, they they don't get to come back by you talking to them. They don't get to come back by all of those different ways, okay? If they do come to you, they will come to you in a dream or a vision based on the word of God, giving the message of God, not as an aberration, not as a spirit, The only time we've ever seen them come back as a spirit was with Jesus present and where God used a special message to give a person in the Bible. So if you see a relative, just say, go in the name of Jesus, and you'll see that relative make a noise that they've never made before because they're an evil spirit pretending to be your relative. But you can have dreams and visions about people and so forth and so on. And like I said, we can't say it never has happened in the Bible. It has, but in the two times that we've had, it's going to be nothing like them coming to talk to you about your house and what they think you need to feed the dogs now or whether or not they love you. That's not, they don't have permission to do that. Number two, a lot of times the Roman Catholics go, well, if a saint is somebody that is a good Christian and we know saints are alive in heaven and we would ask good Christians on earth to pray for us, then why not ask good people in heaven to pray for us? That's how they think praying to saints is good. Well, they have two problems with that. Number one, when I ask you to pray for me, I don't pray to you to then pray for me. Do you see the difference? So if they try to say, well, we know that the saints are still alive. I'm just praying to them. So they pray to Jesus. Number one, I never pray to you to pray to Jesus for me. I ask you, I ask you. Number two, the Bible says there's only one mediator between the man, uh, between men, mankind, and God, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So now that I have access through the Son, why would I need anybody else? And God prevented, uh, prohibited, rather, me going to anybody else. So number one, I never pray to you to pray for me. I ask you. And then number two, when it comes to talking to God, God said, you could talk to me. And another thing that they do is they make statues and idols, and we shouldn't do that. Those kinds of statues and idols are not helpful. 
And even now, I try to um, stay away from even showing pictures of Jesus. I don't think that it's necessarily wrong. I just think it gives people the wrong impression because you can't make everybody happy. I mean, first of all, aren't we all tired of blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, skinny Jesus? I mean, I want to see healthy, plump Jesus if we're going to see any Jesus, right? A little darker-skinned Jesus, you know. You know, maybe a Jesus that, you know, looks, um, what's the guy here in town? The African-American guy with the mustache. He's kind of a little heavier set. Steve Harvey, there we go. We need a Steve Harvey looking Jesus. We need a Latino like a Jose, uh, Josh Jesus, Josue Jesus. You know, I mean, but my point is like you never make it everybody happy. And the whole idea is it's, it's not about the color of his skin, it's about his blood that ran for us. So it doesn't matter if he's white, black, pink, or purple, I know his blood was red and it covered my sins. But moving aside from that, what am I doing with that, that, that statue? What are most Catholics doing with that? They're kissing it. They're bowing down to it. They're lighting candles. You don't see any of that in the Bible. Okay. But where we all agree, Catholics and Protestants alike, is that children have guardian angels. So if you were ever taught that as a Roman Catholic, that you have a guardian angel, that's true. Or if you grew up in a Christian church, that's true. The Bible says it's true. Jesus is pointing to little children just like we have here. And he goes, you see these little children? I love them so much that I have given them angels to protect them. And those angels see the face of my father. Now here's something that whatever came into somebody's mind, twisted up, probably the devil, El Diablo, took this idea. I don't know how it happened, but somebody took the idea of children, angels, merged them together, gave them to Aguila, and now Aguila has baby, fat, little angel, naked, baby, naked angels flying around the bathroom. Have you ever seen the pictures? Have you ever been to Aguila's house? Have you ever been to a grandma's house? They got a naked baby angel. Sometimes they have them in their garden. They're blowing out the water, naked little thing. Glad it's coming through the mouth, right? Glad it's coming through the mouth. PG here, right? That's not true. There's no place in the Bible that children are said to be, if they die, sometimes they say if they die, they become flying naked baby angels. Never happens. There's no creature like that in all of creation. Okay. What children and those who grow up to become adults all have on this planet are guardian angels. Now, what some of you may think is, is that angels, because they're up here in heaven, that means they're greater than us down here on earth. That's actually not true. The Bible says though they were made up here in heaven and we were made down here, we are actually over the angels. The angels are our servants. Now, sometimes people want to be weird, and this goes Protestant and Catholic. They want to start talking to their angels or talk to other angels that we've seen mentioned in the Bible. That's forbidden as well. Remember, if I talk to Jesus, I get all that Jesus has. We don't have to go to anybody but Jesus. If Bill Gates gave you his number, are you still calling the secretary? Can I ask you that question again? If Michael Jordan or whatever famous person you like gave you their number, are you still calling their secretary? There's no need for you to do that. So once again, we have angels, but we're not supposed to communicate with them and now make them uh, our, our you know, laundry mat. Like, hey, Gabriel, go do my laundry. I'm in charge of you. So-and-so angel, go wash my car. That's silly. That's goofy. But we do have angels. 
Children have them from the time they are born, and they protect them and keep them safe. What will that look like when we get to heaven and we get to see the spiritual realm revealed to us over on top of the earthly realm and our eyes are open? I think it's going to be amazing. I think my guardian angel is going to want to have a talk with me, though. And be like, why did you put me in all of these situations? That time when you were a sinner and you did this or that time you did this. How many know you and your angel are going to have a talk when you get to heaven? They might have some scars, some bumps, some bruises, some battles they fought with demons. And like, you have no idea how many demons I had to fight that day for you. So here's how it works. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, angels are dispatched and do things. Now, sometimes people just like to say, well, why does he need angels? God is God. Why doesn't he just zap and do everything? Well, why did God create us? Why did God create a plan? God could have just been by himself playing virtual reality the whole time. God created things for his enjoyment and pleasure. And he created angels for a purpose. He created us for a purpose. How do I know we're over angels? Because we were given dominion of the earth. And what destroyed the earth is when we gave our authority to the fallen angel Lucifer. That's why Jesus had to come back and die on the cross. And then what did he say at the resurrection in Matthew? He says, now I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. And somebody might go, "Uh uh-uh, excuse me. If you were God, didn't you have all authority? Why do you have it now? That shows you weren't God. People will try to say that. No, no, no. He had to come as a man to get the authority man had lost. When he had said, I've received it, now that was as the son of man. Of course, the Son of God had all authority. He's the one that created the angels. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So we shouldn't worry about the power battle there. The devil runs when we say Jesus' name. His demons run when we say Jesus' name. What you're paying $10 to go see in a horror movie, I cast out every night in my house in Jesus' name. Amen. You're paying money to see them do all these gross things and possess people. Why don't we just have a re- the shortest horror movie ever? All the demons show up. Go in Jesus' name. It's over. Then we just end the movie. Give your money to missions instead of horror movies. Are you listening? So here we see clearly that children have angels. We have angels. And the Bible says that they see the face of the Father in heaven. And so I always use the example of up and down, you know, for heaven and earth. And the Bible says he ascended to heaven and all that. But it's better to look at the big picture because when we look at the entire universe, when I point like this up, if I'm floating in space, up could be that way, right? So all of these directions can be twisted around depending where I'm floating in space, right? And the earth is floating in space right now. Here's what we need to see is the entire universe is in the control of God and outside of the universe is his spiritual realm and from the outside spiritual realm his forces come in from every direction are you getting that and so our angels can always enter into the presence of God and see what heaven is like and then enter right back into our realm and to impact this world for us Bible says that when they appear they appear as people we look at the creatures of the Bible that aren't called angels they have wings Cherubim and seraphim are winged creatures, but they're never called angels. Did you know that? So technically, the creatures that have wings are not angels. Angels, angelos, are messengers. And when they come and give messages like Gabriel did to Mary, uh, like the two did who visited Sodom and Gomorrah, they look just like us. So they're not like us in nature, but they look like us, and they're different 
from the seraphim and cherubim. So if you want to look at the different categories of creation, just say heavenly beings. And in the realm of heavenly beings, there's angels, seraphim, and cherubim. And most scholars make the argument, and I tend to agree, that seraphim and cherubim are the same kind of creature, just described differently in the number of wings that they have, but they're the same kind of creature. So there would be two kinds of heavenly beings, messenger beings, and heavenly worshipful flying beings. Are you guys with me on that? Okay. The Bible says messenger angels can also bring the punishments of God, but these bring the blessing of God. Okay. Now we get to verse 11. It says, for the son of man is come, for the son of man is come to save that which is lost. Now everybody look at your Bible. If you have the NIV, go to Matthew chapter 18 and look for a verse 11. Let me know when you guys have found verse 11. Some of you are already laughing. We're in first service. You guys are the awesome double dippers. Love it. Amen. Why not go to church twice on Sunday? Get double for your trouble throughout the week. Amen. Always welcome to do that. Do you see verse 11? It's not there. So what does somebody say who's trying to disprove the Bible? They go, where's verse 11? If the Bible's never changed, where is it? It's missing. It goes from verse 10 to verse 12. See, I proved it. The Bible's changed. No, all they've proved is they're a spiritual oompa loompa, and they don't know what they're doing. Number one, us as scholars have given them the Bible. We have given this to them, and they're trying to use it against us. We know it's there. Now, they may do that to you if you don't read your Bible and pay attention, pay attention to a missing verse. But to those of us who study, we're like, what are you saying? Now, we've gone through this before, so let me show you. Let's go back to the notes, please. The King James has the verse. Why doesn't the NIV? It's very simple. When the manuscripts were being handed down, the Roman Catholic Church took them, changed the Bible, and now the Bible has been forever changed, and we'll never know what it is. And then there's going to be Tom Hanks to come out and find the Da Vinci artwork decipher the code, and then tell us that Jesus was really married to Mary who started a secret society called the what? The Knights of Columbus, and that's about world domination, and that's why that's there. Okay? I tried to remember as much of the Da Vinci Code as I could. Is that why it's there? No. What happened as they were translating and handing down the scriptures there would be scribal mistakes. Just because there's a scribal mistake, does that mean the content is wrong? No. Have there been mistakes in textbooks? Yes. Does that mean two plus two doesn't equal four? No. Now, before someone goes, well, if we, if we admit there's mistakes, then that must mean the whole thing's a mistake. It can't be right. Hold on. Put on your brakes here. Hold on. How do we know to trust the scriptures even though there's been mistakes in transmission and everybody copying wasn't a robot and there wasn't copiers? Here's how we know. Because we still discover in archaeology today manuscripts that were buried from thousands of years ago before this was ever put in our hands. Let me give you an example. The Romans hated the Christians so much that they would take out parts of their Bible, and don't think I'm ripping this out, it's already fallen out. They would rip out parts of their Bible, and then they would plaster them over their dead people as a part of their mummification. 
as we have just found in the last 10 years some of these mummies, we have peeled off pieces of the scripture that are dated to the time of the apostles and their followers that match what you have in your Bible right now. Look it up. Mummified scripture. Google that sometime. It's there. Also, we found scrolls buried 200 years before Jesus was ever alive for the Old Testament. So if we found scrolls in 1950, could the Catholic Church change them in the 300s? No, they were still buried. You guys up today? If we just found a manuscript on a mummy that was buried, could they change the manuscript? No. So what do we do? We trust that what they handed to us was the scriptures. What's another verification other than what I just showed you in archaeology? Another verification is what we call the attestation of the church fathers. These were the disciples of the first disciples, and they were known as the pre-Nicene fathers, anti-Nicene, anti-meaning pre-Nicaea, the council of 300. And these men wrote so much about Jesus and the apostles that if we did not have the New Testament, we could put together the New Testament and almost 90% of it just from their quoting it. And once again, how would all of them be on the same page about what Paul said and about what Peter said? Why don't we meet some church father that said Jesus was an Egyptian that practiced magic and was actually an alien that came on a spaceship? Right? Why don't we hear that from the church fathers? Why do we hear them quoting the Gospels, quoting the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter? And they themselves never try to assert what they're writing, even though some of them themselves had saw Jesus and were very close, even named in the Bible by the apostles, like Clement. Clement is named in our Bible, writes a letter, yet they never say what they're writing is Bible. Why? Because they knew the word of God was among them. They were taking care of it. And even though for the first 300 years Christianity was illegal, they were burning our Bibles, they were putting it on mummies, they were doing all those things, God was preserving his word. So now, here is the issue. You guys want to know the problem. Here is the issue. And I've talked about it before, but I'll be, I'll be honest to do it every time because we're not just going to skip from 10 to 12, okay? When we look at this, here is the problem. We either have a hundred-piece puzzle that has 120 pieces, or we have a 120-piece puzzle. Now, can you put together a hundred-piece puzzle if you have 120 pieces? Yeah. You can't trust me. I do it all the time with my kids. They mix all their puzzle pieces together, put them in one box, and say, let's solve the puzzle. I got a bunch in there that don't belong to that puzzle, but I still am able to put it together if all the puzzle pieces are there. Are you with me? But can I put together a 100-piece puzzle if I only have 90 pieces? No, because I'm missing. We are never missing anything. It's never like, oh, this is missing, this is missing. No, what it always is is more. And so as I've shared with you before, we either have a 100-piece puzzle and verse 11 is a part of the 120 pieces we have. It's extra. It's part of the 20 pieces that's extra. Or it's a 120-piece puzzle, and every single piece is there. As I've shared with you, I've told you that I take the 120-piece version. 
That's why the King James is a longer with word count version than the NIV. Now, why do I read out of the NIV and not teach out of the King James is because my these and thous get (laughs) mistaken quite a bit and messed up. It's hard to speak and preach out of the King James. It's beautiful to listen to. It's beautiful to read. So I prefer the read. But then I prefer the uh, text, the entirety of the King James. Amen? Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, if you were sitting here during that discussion thinking to yourself, I am bored. He needs to go back to telling something that's relevant to my life. You need to understand what you're asking of me. Everybody get this. Everybody look up at me. What you're asking of me then is to treat you like an Oompa Loompa. What you then want me to do as a pastor is not go verse by verse through the Bible. You don't want me to explain why your Bible goes from 10 to 12. You want me to basically preach the lyrics of a K love song to you, and then you just want to go home and feel better about yourself. See, if you were bored during that time, what you were basically saying is, I will learn stuff on my job that's tough that I haven't heard before. I will learn stuff on the geographic channel, on the discovery channel, but I refuse to do that in church. I just want to feel good. Don't be that way. Don't be that way because this is not boring, even though it may not be easy to learn and fit into a shouting sermon and you just want me to go right down to the lost sheep part. I owe this to you so you can understand where your scriptures have come from and why we have differences in translations. Some take all of the pieces. Some say we don't believe all of them go there. And the reason is, is because the majority of all those pieces are found in other texts. As the the note says if you go back to our actual scriptures to the Bible program he had clicked on it the actual note right there says it's found in Luke 19:10 and so if you're a good christian and you say i like the NIV and i believe that was really all that was originally there how do they then explain the extra pieces they simply say a scribe must have thought it belonged there because it's found in other places. So there's nothing nefarious like they're trying to slip in there that teaches Jesus was God because really Jesus was a Hindu guru. You know, it's nothing nefarious. It's scribes who either made notes and then the next scribe comes and goes, oh, that's a note. That must not be just a note. It must be part of the scripture. I got to put that in there. Or they were thought that maybe a part of it was missing and the other guy was sleeping and skipped a verse and said, hey, I see this in Luke. It belongs there. Whatever reason they have, it was never nefarious. Never, never, because it's not anything against what we believe. That's why, everybody listen to me, if you just take the translations of the NIV, you accept everything in the King James because all of those extra 20 pieces never contradict what's in the other 100 pieces. Do you get it? Never contradicts it, never talks about anything else. Let's go back to the notes then. How many believe Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost? Amen. Amen. The Bible then continues on to teach us how he seeks and saves that which is lost. Here's a beautiful parable he gives. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go back to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Isn't that beautiful? You are that special to God. But hold on. How many have heard this before and felt themselves as a special little sheep? What if I showed you Jesus wasn't talking about you? What if I showed you that? 
You see, he said these little ones. Does everybody get that? Who are the little ones that he's calling sheep? Well, children of what race? What culture are the sheep? The Jews. Let's see if I'm telling you the truth. Go back to Matthew chapter 15. Same book, same author. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus runs into a Canaanite woman. I need it just a little bit more on the monitors, please. Thank you. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Is she a Jewish woman? No, she's a Canaanite woman. Now let's keep going. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to what? Lost sheep of Israel. So sheep are in Israel, as you're about ready to learn, dogs are in the pagan nations. Let's keep going. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the what? children's bread. So could Jesus, when he was referring to little one's children, be specifically referring to children of Israel? Yeah. Go back to it. Go back to the notes. He says, in the same way your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So let me ask you, are any of you a little boy or girl that is Jewish? Does anyone here have Jewish blood? I have a little girl right there, but I don't know if you're Jewish. Do we have any little Jewish boys or girls here? Well, we know what some people would say. They would say, well, then Jesus is not coming after you. He said he's only coming after the little sheep, the little lost ones. Those are his children. But let's go back to the passage to show the contradiction. She said, yes, Lord, I know I'm a dog from a pagan nation. I am not a sheep, in other words. She says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. How many know all of us non-Jewish people still receive the blessings of God? See, she humbled herself and said, even though I'm in the place of a dog in the culture and I'm not one of the sheep you made a covenant with, I know you're still good to me. Brother, I still can't hear in the monitor. It's very hard for me. Please help. Thank you. When I don't hear myself in the monitor and I have the microphone, it makes me talk louder and I go hoarse. You can see I'm going hoarse. Feel sorry for me. I already talk like this. Did you ever hear anybody do a Pastor Joe imitation? Oh, I'm Pastor Joe. Snap into a Slim Jim. Just a little bit more, please. Thank you. When we look at this, she goes, I know I'm a dog. I come from a pagan nation, but God, you're good to even pagans. Can I have some of the children's bread? So number one, if anybody ever tells you God only cares about Jewish people, in the book of Matthew, they are still incorrect, even though Matthew is focusing on Jewish people. So let's not try to defend our non-Jewish status by changing the context of Matthew. Matthew is very clear the lost sheep is a little one in the house of Israel, like the little children eating the bread. 
But when she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. We now know that Gentiles can come in and receive from the Father. Now go back to the notes. But we cannot use this scripture alone to say he searches for Gentiles like he searches for his lost Jewish people. But how many are glad there's a surround sound of the Bible? Remember we just talked about how some scholars would take one thing from a gospel and put it into another gospel where they thought it was missing? I actually like the differences. We shouldn't think of the differences in the gospels as contradictions, but rather compliments and a way of confirmation. And I give you the example often like surround sound. You have one in the, the, the left, one in the right, in the front, and then you have two in the back, in the right, one in the left there. Think of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John giving us a surround sound. Go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. If we took all of the red letters of Jesus in the Bible, every single one of them, do you know how much he talked? Content in the Bible, what an average man would speak in a week. And men don't talk a lot, right? Come on. An average man speaking a week would speak all the red letter words out of Jesus's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John presentations. But he was alive and was a teacher for over 33 years and was a teacher for three years. What was he doing the entire time? Repeating himself. Over and over and over again. And those of you who were in the first service, now you hear me in the second service. I'm repeating myself, aren't I? But I'm also changing things as I go and giving different insight. Have I contradicted myself? Hopefully not. But I've said it a different way. Look at how he says it here. He's not contradicting himself. He's just telling it a little bit different. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. You see, he was getting these non-Jewish people around him, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So now what is his context? Sinners, and it's going to include non-Jewish people. What was his context before when he talked about lost sheep? What context was he in? Children. Now listen. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Sounds the same, right? Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one Highlight one sinner, please. How over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Swipe to our notes, please, from Matthew. What does he say? That these little ones, highlight these little ones. How many are glad there's a Matthew, a Luke, a John, and a Mark? Because you wouldn't be able to use that as your example because you're not a little Jewish boy or girl. But how many know you're fully a sinner? You're not a little Jewish boy or girl, but you are fully a sinner. 
See, Jesus doesn't just look for Jewish boys and girls and make sure that they don't get lost in the covenant. Though that's awesome to consider. That's why Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, a nation that didn't exist up until 1948, from the time of 1948 to the time of 70 AD. That means God kept his promise to a people and did not let these little ones go away. He has kept the nation of Israel while the nation of Canaan has disappeared. The nation of Edom has disappeared. The nation of Rome has disappeared. The nation of Persia has disappeared. Matter of fact, there's only a handful of ancient nations that have remained, and most of them are huge and large and do so by military power. Israel was the only nation that lost its power, its land, and remained a nation for almost 2,000 years. And so what do we learn when we take Matthew with Luke? We learn that what he has done for Israel, he is now doing for the Gentiles. So we don't just brush by the context and be like, well, you said a whole lot of nothing, Pastor. The bottom line is I'm a sheep, I'm saved, let's just go on. No, 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 because how do you know God will be good to you? How do you know God will keep his promises? Because you just showed up on the planet. You've only been here for a few years. How do you know, little girl, God's going to keep his promises to you? You better go back over Jewish history and see how good he's been to his people, how he's kept his word to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because if he's been good to them, he'll be good to you, even though you might be a lost sinner. He finds lost sinners just like he finds lost Jewish boys and girls. Would you stand up and give it up for our great shepherd today, Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Here's where I want to leave us today before we roll out of here. Number one, are you a lost sheep? Some of you are lost sheep and you don't know it. You've been going about your day, your life, so busy, you're thinking about things, and you're never thinking about God. And you might have come here today, and now you realize it. Man. I am a sinner. I'm a lost person. I need Jesus. When we start to pray here at the end, I want you to come up to these altar workers and ask them to pray with you so you can come back home. Number two, if you are here today and you're saying, I know I am a lost sinner. Like, I know it. It's not that I just got awakened to. It's not that I just thought about it today. I'm actually a backslider. And you could be such a good backslider that you fool all of us to make you think you're with God, but you're really not. I want you to come up as we pray. You can go to the song, please. And then lastly, today if you are here and you care about lost sheep, listen to me, and you want to go out and rescue them because you know how important they are to Jesus, I want you to find someone to pray with you because that's a special calling. I was in a service just like you guys are right now when God gave me the calling to be a pastor. Some of you might have the calling to start a life group, to join one of the ministries. You need to be quick to respond to those callings. Before we pray, I want to say this and make sure everybody hears it. When you're lost, it's not because God doesn't know where you're at. This analogy goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran and hid from God, and then God asked them, where are you? How many knew God knows where they were at? I mean, he knows. He's not like not able to see them. He knows. How many of you know when your child's hiding from you in the house? Most of you know where they're at, especially if they're little. But you play hide and seek with them. Why is he doing that? He's doing this. He's asking them, do you know where you are? 
You're not lost to God's knowledge. God, in your mind, is lost because of your choice, your lack of knowledge. God knows about you, but do you know about him? When we are found, it's not like God says, oh, I've been looking for you. No, when we're found, it's when God is found in us, and now he lives on inside of us. Some of you are still playing hide-and-go-seek with God, where you need to stop and let him find you, and let him come into your heart, and you'll be lost no more. That's why when Luke tells the story, he also puts it with the prodigal son. Remember, the prodigal son wasn't lost in that sense. The prodigal son was lost in a relationship with the father in that sense. Does everybody get the difference? It's not like he was looking at his GPS going, I'm lost. I'm lost. I don't know where I am. No, he was lost between him and his father. So if you fit into any of those two categories about lost sheep, whether you've known it or you have fully known it, You need to make sure you're not lost anymore because you're not promised tomorrow. And then those of us who love lost sheep, I hope you get prayer. I hope you do. We're going to dismiss. You will be free to go after this. But we're going to worship. We're going to go hard. Those who want it, come and get it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.